Lord, what a privilege it is to have this day of all the days of the week where we can just step back, rest, refresh, and take in your word that is life-giving. And I pray that in it being brought forward this morning, it would be such for everyone here gathered here this morning, that you would think our thoughts, bend our wills, that my words would be your words for this, your people. And you would take every single one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we do pray. Amen. The story is told that two brothers who were farmers, their land was adjacent to each other. And they lived in harmony, sharing a big backyard. They raised their kids for years. And then all of a sudden, something came between them, and nobody could ever remember what it actually was. And the older brother wouldn't even speak to him, and the younger brother wouldn't even speak to one another. And one day, the older brother decided, well, we're just going to divide our land, and he dug a creek between in this big backyard between them, so it would divide them. And so the younger brother got a little peeved about that. They weren't even speaking. I mean, they didn't even get together for Thanksgiving, Christmas, Fourth of July, Easter. A grim silence had replaced the laughter which once they had known for many, many years. So one day, a handyman came to the younger brother's house and said, Hey, I'm looking for some work. What can I do for you? And the younger brother said, Oh, I've got a project for you, my friend. See all that wood over there by the barn? He goes, yep. See that creek down there? He said, yep. I want you to build an eight-foot fence all along that creek from that boundary to that boundary with no gate in between. Eight foot high so I never have to see him again. Can you do that? He said, yep. Got it. I'll do it. So the younger brother set out with his family for a few days to visit his wife's elderly mother. And upon his return, the first thing on his mind, he was going to go out and see this brand new fence. But as he came around the corner of the house and looked out towards the creek, he didn't see a fence. What he saw was a beautiful wooden bridge across the creek with his older brother walking over the bridge. And as they met one another, the older brother said, What a great idea. It was stupid of me to build this creek to divide us. Let's bygone be bygones. And the younger brother had good enough sense to not tell him that it wasn't his idea to build the bridge. And they embraced, and they were reconciled. Afterward, the younger brother went back to the house where the handyman was kind of cleaning up all his stuff. And he said, hey, I got some other projects for you. And he said, sorry, I can't hang around. I got to keep going because I got a lot more bridges to build for folks. Ladies and gentlemen, in a much greater way, the Lord Jesus Christ is the great bridge builder. He turned the dividing fence between Jews and Gentiles not into just a uniting fence because Jesus is the bridge that unites Jew and Gentile, 
slave and free, male and female, rich and poor. It breaks down barriers. And it's through his death and resurrection and believing that we have been reconciled to him and therefore we're reconciled to one another. And in each and every one of your lives and mine, Jesus wants to do even more than cross that bridge. He wants to live in you through the Holy Spirit. To become a living temple for the glory of God our Father. And we do that collectively in what is known as the church. So that's what we're going to rediscover over the next six to seven weeks here at Christ Church. Focusing on practical living, because that's what Paul gets to in verses uh, chapters 4 through 6. It's called the Epistle to the Ephesians. The word epistle simply means letter in the Greek, if you didn't know. You hear people say the epistle today is, or something like that. It just means, in Greek, the letter. And so, what we're going to see in this series that's going to last all the way through Labor Day... We're going to see the implications of the good news of Jesus Christ practically on the ground in our actions, in our relationships, and in all of our lives. This letter was written about 62 AD. Ephesus was a wealthy port city in the Roman province of Asia, which today we call the nation of Turkey. Uh, the, The silt has filled in over time. It's no longer in the port a few miles inland now, but back then, it was right on the Mediterranean, or the Sea of Aegea, the Aegean Sea in Turkey. I stand corrected. So Paul wrote this in approximately 62 AD, more than likely from a Roman jail, to exhort them and to encourage them. And their young pastor, Timothy, who was pastoring this mixed bag of Jew and Gentile in the glorious city of of Ephesus. So let's join Paul now in his explanation of the marvelous truth of our unity in Christ, which is good and pleasant place for every single one of us to dwell in. And today we're going to focus basically just on verses 17 to 22. But to get to 17 to 22, you've got to understand where he's come from. All right? And literally, This whole section of chapter 2 sums up all of chapters 1 through 3. So that's why I've decided to focus on this. Because you have to understand this in order to apply it. It's that simple. So that's why we've called this message, First Things First. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, makes sure that they understand grace in verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of your works. Because so many, even today, honestly believe that it's something that you have to earn. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. It's a gift given to you. Like all gifts, it has to be received. And it's from that gifts, recognizing at that point, you are his workmanship. You're not a piece of work. You are his workmanship. Only you on the face of the whole planet, can do the work that God has called you to do here across the west shore of Cleveland. And you are called to walk in the good works that only He has called you to walk in. I can't walk your walk, you can't walk mine, and we're here to support one another. And if we're not walking in them, then we go back to the gift. If you're always going, "Ah, I'm not doing it, go back to the gift. Because it's grace 
It's always grace. We can never do enough to earn it, so stop trying, right? And Paul wants to make that clear. And because of that grace, and because we're beginning to walk in those works as we're growing in Him, we're at peace with God, and we're at peace with one another. We'll get to this dividing wall later. But the dividing wall of Jew and Gentile was profound, ladies and gentlemen, much greater than racial divides today, or socioeconomic or geographical divides between suburban and urban and rural America, and the differences we all live our lives together, that's nothing compared to the ancient divide of Jew and Gentile. And so as Paul explains that these dividing walls are broken down, he continues to explain there's a unity which only can be found in this community called the church. It's a, and it, we begin to change and we break down walls. We build bridges. And only in Jesus can years of hatred, bitterness, racism, even centuries of bitter conflict restore wholeness. Between, he does so in between individuals, and he does so in nations as well. And so Paul affirmed the believing Gentiles in the Ephesian church that through trust in Jesus Christ alone, reconciliation had already been made. Look at verse 17. And Jesus came to preach peace to you. He's writing to the Gentiles who were far off and peace to those who are near. The Jews that are in Ephesus as well. And so Paul went in Acts chapter 9 to the, the community because that's what he did always. He went into a town, he looked for a synagogue, he preached the gospel to the Jews first, and after he was sure that he had completed his ministry among them, those who believed, he brought with them to minister to the Gentiles in the community, because that's what Paul was called to do. And what happens here is we discover when you are saved by this grace and growing in serving, Paul mentions four noticeable changes that happen in a believer's life in this passage that you just can't miss. And if anyone is askew, you need to get it right before we go further. What we discover in this passage is that every single disciple of God, of Jesus Christ, has a common access to the Father, a common citizenship in the Father, a common family in the Father, and a common task that the Father calls you to do. Right? Common access, common citizenship, common family, and common task. Let's look at this together. First, we have common access to God. Verse 18, For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This may seem like a Sunday afternoon yawn to you that, you know, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to one spirit, to the Father. You know, and, you know, in America, being Western Christians, you know, we easily accept the grace of God. We delight. I see your smiles when I talk about the grace of God. Because that's who we are. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We're glad to have it. But back then... This was a huge deal. It was a huge change. Because until Jesus, only the Jews could access God through the ministry of the high priest. 
and even then only once a year on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16. Those outside the Jewish family, the Gentiles, the Goyim, you know, also, that's, that's what it is in Greek, the Goyim, or Hebrew as well, um, they were called the dogs. And if you go to the east right now, I mean, they don't, you know, Bishop Zumbas doesn't let dogs in the house, by the way. Dogs don't belong in the house. Why are you dogs in the house? That's what we do, Bishop, really. Okay, you know, you know, nice dog, kind of, sort of, you know. They, they, they're, they're unclean, you know. And so this is, this is exactly the way the Gentiles were perceived. And so in the temple, there was a court to the Gentiles that the Gentiles could come and worship the Lord, but they weren't allowed to go where the Jews were. And the wall in the temple was called the wall of hostility. And if you crossed that wall, guess what happened? You were stoned. <laughs> you weren't allowed in. But Jesus, however, changed all of that with his death upon the cross. Matthew 27, his, the curtain of the temple was torn top to bottom. Chapter 27, verses 50 and 51. And now everyone who has truly placed their trust in Jesus Christ walk in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't say get baptized. I didn't say get confirmed. I don't care what ritual you've been through. The reality is, do you have a living, breathing relationship with the living God? And because you've had that, we all have equal access to God. And there's no curtain that blocks away. There's no dividing wall of hostility. We're all welcomed in. And this word access in the Greek is absolutely vital. Scholar Harold Honer puts access this way. He says, access can mean introduction in the sense that Jesus is a believer's introduction to the Father. But it seems better to understand that Jesus gives the believers access to the Father. So often in this book, he says, the work of the Trinity is seen. And this is beautiful. Here, believers have access to God the Father through the Holy Spirit because of Jesus Christ's atoning death upon the cross. It's such a powerful word, access, that Paul uses this word again in chapter 3, verse 12, when he says, in whom, talking about Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. As we have placed our trust in Jesus, my friends, we have a personal relationship with him. We come freely and directly to the Father. You don't need your priest. You don't need a dividing wall. There is no dividing wall. You have access, and it's common to every single one of us to get into his presence and enter the presence of the king. It's like walking into the throne room of a king in a crowded courtroom, and the king looks out and he says, Jerry, come here. You're my boy. I know you. Let's talk. That's the way it is for each and every one of us in Jesus Christ. There's no dividing wall. He hears you, and he desires to hear you. He says, hey, I know this one. Let's talk. 
That's the first thing. Common access to the Father. We also have common citizenship. Verse 19a, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You see, the Gentiles were considered strangers and aliens. Words that described people who did not have citizenship in their new land. They didn't have any rights of any kind of citizenship in their new country. But through Jesus Christ, these Gentiles now are fellow citizens with the believing Jews. In other words, these Gentiles who formerly, as Ephesians, were probably worshiping Jupiter, you know, Artemis of the Ephesians, Acts chapter 19, right? No, now they're worshiping Jesus. And because they're worshiping Jesus, they're worshiping along with the saints of God. They're counted the, in equal terms with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and every faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ since. These guys belonged to God's kingdom, and this kingdom was so much more enduring and so much more meaningful than any earthly kingdom and relationship could ever they might belong to. James Montgomery Boyce, the great pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, wrote this of citizenship in the kingdom. He said, when Paul wrote these words, the kingdom of Rome was at its height. Its territory has expanded in great glory, and it dominated the world. Roman armies kept peace, and they dispensed justice. Roman roads lined the far-flung reaches of the empire. Rome stood for hundreds of years and was taught to the populace that it would last another thousand. But Paul looked at Rome here and saw it not as one great united kingdom, but as a forced as a force imposed on mutually antagonistic factors, factions, rich and poor, slave and free, male and female, Jew and Gentile. And in its place, Paul saw this new humanity, the church, with its citizenship, created by God himself, transcending these boundaries. This kingdom was destined to grow, and to permeate all nations, drawing from all peoples, it is a kingdom that cannot be shaken and cannot be destroyed. So my friends, this citizenship, was, which has been bestowed upon each and every one of us in Jesus Christ, because of what Christ has done for us, doesn't result in outward perfected conformity, but in inner transformation which bears fruit. It's like a stained glass window. And we're going to talk about the unity that we have here in a second. When God's people come together, and each and every one of us are a little piece of that stained glass, and we're put together, it's a beautiful picture which the Holy Spirit shines through that window for His glory, not ours. Because we can fully live out our citizenship and realize that we too are part of a people that's going to last for eternity. So we have a common access, we have a common citizenship. Well, guess what? We also have a common family. Verse 19b, we are also members of the household of God. Now I know 
In 21st century America, that word family doesn't always conjure up positive emotions for some. But this is God's family. And I didn't make this word up, all right? God, through the Apostle Paul, wrote that each and every one of us in Christ are members of God's household. So we relate to one another as family. We are brothers and sisters with family ties that are intimate and tight because we're children of a loving father. So that brings two noticeable, innumerable benefits. First, we have an immediate support network made of brothers and sisters that goes beyond the help of any old high school buddy, any frat friend from Delta Gamma Gamma Chi that you were part of, or you know, Delta House sorority that you were part of. Hey, you have a support network which is lasting forever. Next, it gives us an intimacy of our, with our Lord, which means that we can come to him anytime, day or night, at any moment. And you have a network of people who will pray for you at any time, in any moment. In other words, it's a perpetual family reunion in a positive way. You're my brother. You're my sister. We share our highs and we share our lows. Part of the family. And last but not least, we have a common task. Verse 20. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him... You also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, as we grow in Jesus Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we are joined together as a temple for God. That's our task. Every single one of us are called to be joined together, growing into a holy temple common task that every professing Christian is called to do. And you can't do it in isolation. It has to be together. If you say silly things that some have even told me and they no longer come here. You know, they, they say things like, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious. Or I don't need to be part of the church in order to be a Christian. That's like saying I can have a six-pack and I can eat Dunkin' Donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Are you stupid? It doesn't work. It just doesn't. I want to be physically fit and I want to eat anything I want to. This goes at the heart of American individualism and consumerism, my friends. When, when you are a building block by yourself, that's all you are. You're a stone sitting out in the back of the temple, just sitting there by yourself. But when you're placed in the temple, built on, notice what Paul says, on the apostles and prophets. What's the apostles and prophets? The word of God. We didn't make this up. Paul didn't make it up. He said, man, we are built on, we're standing on the shoulders of the saints and their faithfulness to the Lord. And we saw how faithful Jacob was, right? 
Jacob was an absolute mess, but yet he's named as one. Okay? We're built on that. And we can stand firm in this truth. But it's absolutely ridiculous and silly to think that you are a freestanding building block on your own. You are not. All you are is a building block. And all by yourself in the Christian world does not work. Because we needed a bigger authority to love us, to cover us, to encourage us. Because by yourself, you're spiritually incomplete. When it says you're living stones in a temple, it means you're spiritually incomplete all by yourself. But together, you're complete. Alone, you need a cause. You need an authority to speak loving truth into your life and validation from outside yourself. Because, you know, when you look at your lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I mean, you can't put the past back into the bottle, can we? All the regrets some of us have, all the pain some of us has, what you've written in your life, you're written. There's no erasing your past. It can't be undone. And the individualists of our culture come along and say, well, you can decide what your standards are. You can decide whether you're all right or not. You can authenticate yourself. Really? Go ahead. Speak that to yourself. But you really can't, can you? In spite of how I screwed up over there, in spite of the way I broke certain promises, in spite of the fact that nobody knows how dishonest I was in spite of all these things, I'm really okay. Really? Why? No, what we really need is someone to come alongside of us and cover us up and say, you're all right. No matter how you've been, no matter how you are, you're all right. I love you. You're awesome. When my boys were little, we lived in Lusby, Maryland. I would come home late from practice some nights, and they'd already be asleep. I remember coming into their room, and Zach and Ben would be, you know, it was summertime, and they'd be all uncovered. I mean, abso- it's summertime, the air conditioning's on, and, and they're absolutely uncovered. And so I knew well enough to know if I wanted to sleep through the night that I needed to cover them and tuck them in. Because if not, we'd hear at 3.30 in the morning, Mom, Dad, because they were babies. That's what babies do. And what we need is someone to come alongside us and say, I see it. I see what you've done. I see your pluses. I see your minuses. I see all this stuff. And you know what? I'll cover you. I love you. I admire you. You're all right. You're okay. And they pat you on the back and they give you a hug. And it feels like someone's tucking you in and covering you. The fact is, you cannot validate yourself. You cannot be a Christian and be your own building block. You have to find someone else whom you admire and respect and encourage one another in it. And ultimately what the Bible says we have to do is to know God loves us and is with us and loves us anyway because you are not meant to stand on your own. We're called to be built in to something bigger than ourselves, known as the church. So the question is, 
are you built into something here at Christ Church? Look, I know vulnerability can be difficult, but being invulnerably is, invulnerable is worse. Opening yourself to other people, letting them see who you are as a Christian, going to other Christians and saying, I really need some help in this area of my life, and I need you to hold me a little accountable to this or to that, can be hard, but not making yourself vulnerable is a harder way to live life. C.S. Lewis said, hey, if you, don't, you want your heart to be broken, don't give it to anybody. And then it'll become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. See, there's only two alternatives in the kingdom. If you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you're built for friendship. You're built for fellowship. You're built for the church. You're built to have other Christians know who you are, to look at you all the way to the bottom of your soul and say, you're all right. I'm not perfect. None of us are. You were built for this. To be hewn out of the quarry is conversion. To be shaped into a stone for the temple is our discipleship. And being placed in the temple is our ministry. Therefore, it's a beautiful and lovely picture of a living stones. And when we come to Jesus, it means we'll find other people we can fit with because of our common experience in Jesus Christ. We'll be talking about that over the months to come, how we can get more involved. But the whole part of it is everybody is included in this invitation. Every single one of you are called to come be part of this temple known as Christ Church West Shore. It's like Rita Snowden, who's a New Zealand author, who wrote about the French soldiers who were coming back from battle in World War I to their village. One of their comrades had been killed. And they come to their village, and there's only a Roman Catholic church because they were all raised Catholic in this village. And so they come to the village carrying the body of their, of their fallen comrade, and they're, they're, just, they're just so upset. And the priest says, boys, I just have to ask, was he Catholic? And he said, Father, we don't know if he was Catholic or not. And he said, I'm sorry, guys, we can't bury him in the churchyard. He's not Catholic. And they're pretty upset. And so they said, okay, we're going to bury him right outside the churchyard. So they bury him right outside the fence of the churchyard. But they don't quite finish it all. He's buried. He's six feet under, but it's still kind of messy. They want to come back tomorrow and straighten it and make it nice. So they come back the next day to do that, and all of a sudden they recognize that it's not there. But inside the fence, there's this mound that's been freshly gardened and tilled, what have you. And, they, and the priest comes out and speaks to them and says, Guys, I felt so bad, I came out in the middle of the night and I, I moved the fence to include your friend. That is what God does for each and every one of us in Jesus Christ. And each and every one of us have a part to play in this temple, part of the temple called Christ Church West Shore. You may not think you're valuable, you are. You have a ministry, a calling, 
And the only people who don't are those of our older friends who are just getting frail, and to them we say, well done, good and faithful servants. Pray for us. Every single one of us have a calling to walk into. So therefore, I close with two questions for each and every one of us. Number one, have we truly received Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and walking in the, uh, the works that only we can walk in, according to verse 10 of chapter 2? If you haven't, if you're still trying to earn it on your own strength, let it go and repent and believe and trust in that work upon the cross for you. And secondly, for those who have, are you living like it? You know, I'm not talking about perfection, but a striving, and we're going to see that in chapter 4. Okay, We're going to see it. It's really cool to see that we're living in community, growing, joined together for His glory. Because quite frankly, we are, each and every one of us, a small piece of stained glass window. And if all you do is do it in isolation, I'm a Sunday-only person, you know, uh, not much is going to shine through that one. But if you put it all together, it's a beautiful picture of the work that Jesus Christ is doing in us collectively. For, to edify each and every one of us and to glorify the Lord and Him alone to this community. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that today there might be some of us who are still attempting to do it the Christian life our way, to live isolated, autonomous, some of us may even think that it's something we can earn. I pray that this letter to the Ephesians would be life-transforming for each and every one of us and them. And we pray that for today and for the remainder of this summer, you'd assist us by your grace to think more and more about what you want the church to be. And not just Christ's church, but the church universal. I pray you'd help us to see that on the basis of the good news of Jesus and on the basis of what the Bible says, we are in Christ. And that each and every one of us have an ability for a unity, an ability for a solidarity that is really available nowhere else in the world. I pray you'd help us to see what these great promises are. Would you help us to have the wisdom to appropriate them? Would you please, Holy Spirit, give us the humility to repent when we are really avoiding the commitments and the covenants necessary to partake in all of this. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us your church, which really is only to pray, oh Lord, make us as happy as you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because you know one another, love one another, Submit to one another and serve one another. Make us like you. Make us one as you are one. For all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.